Um, well, just to be very, very clear, I am not the expert in prayer. That is not me, okay? But over these next few weeks, over these next four weeks, we are going to have the expert uh, in this uh, life skill. And it's not golfing or cooking or, or football or driving. It's the, one of the most, if not the most important life skills of all, praying. Uh, and we are going to have the Lord Jesus himself, who was an expert in the subject. We're going to be reading a little bit about uh, Jesus' practice and his teaching uh, a little later. Uh, but Jesus was a, an expert in this subject of prayer. He made prayer part of his daily routine. He made prayer a part of his weekly schedule. He was an incredibly, if you read some of the Gospels, he was an incredibly busy man and yet took time uh, to pray. In fact, we'll read in a, f- in a few minutes of how he went off uh, and went up a mountain and prayed all night. For Jesus, prayer was more important even than sleep. I'm not sure that's necessarily our priorities. Uh, but uh, we see that Jesus was a true expert in prayer. But as you kind of read between the lines, as you listen to the way Jesus talks about his father, uh, as you read the descriptions of his prayer life, you see that prayer for Jesus wasn't a dry duty or a drudgery. It seemed to be something that he actually really enjoyed doing. Enjoyed doing. And the reason that he enjoyed doing it was simply because he enjoyed his father's company. He enjoyed his father's company. Now, I don't think, if I'm honest, that I could say that, that I enjoy prayer. Um, I think uh, there's, that, that I speak for many of us. Um, I think many of us would re- agree with this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, the local boy done good, if we can see it on the screen. Uh, he said, well now... Um, uh, let's at any rate come clean. Uh, prayer is irksome. Uh, an excuse to admit it, omit it is never unwelcome. Uh, we are reluctant to be- begin and we are delighted to finish. I think that's true for a lot of us that we find prayer actually really difficult. Uh, it can be a real challenge for lots of us. It's our weak point in our discipleship uh, to Jesus. Um, but I, I, I want to suggest that actually it's perhaps more difficult today than maybe ever before uh, to be disciplined in our prayer lives. Uh, I think there are some unique challenges that, that our generation are facing that make prayer even more difficult. Uh, one of them might be digital distraction. Digital distraction. Um, some, of, some of you are too young, but some of you will remember uh, pre-2007, uh, there was this thing called boredom. You might never have heard of it. Uh, you know, when you, were, when you were in a queue, in B&Q for three minutes, when you uh, were at a bus stop, when you were on a plane and you just finished your book and there's another half hour to go of the flight, what do you do? Well, for, for, for those people who can remember such a thing as boredom back pre-2007, uh, those were moments. Those were moments when you could wake up to the reality of yourself. Those were moments when you could engage with God. But, but now, those moments are largely filled up, aren't they? We fill up those moments with our, with our digital device that is almost surgically connected to us all the time. Uh, where we use the opportunity, if we've got those couple of minutes spare, we use the opportunity to, to check your social media, to check your Instagram or your Twitter or your Facebook, uh, to, to send a message, a WhatsApp, a text, an email, uh, or to just search something on Google, the weather or whatever. Uh, and we fill up those moments. Uh, and we are constantly distracted. We are constantly distracted. But also... In the 21st century, in the West, we are wealthier than ever before. We are probably the wealthiest generation that has ever lived in human history. Think about that. The wealthiest generation that has ever lived in human history. Uh, And that brings with it challenges, doesn't it? Uh, It's very difficult to be prayerful when you have a good job and a healthy bank balance and access to the NHS. Money can do for you what prayer can do for you, usually easier and faster. 
money and wealth insulate us and delude us. And because we are wealthier than ever before, we have more disposable income than ever before. Uh, And so we socialize more, we take more holidays, we have more hobbies. We're all busy, 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 busy. Go, go, go. Hectic lives. And in such hectic lives, wherever is there the chance and the opportunity to pray? Digital distraction, wealth. And we also live in a culture that is increasingly secular. Uh, Agnosticism, which is the idea that you can't be sure that there's a God. Or flat-out atheism. I'm absolutely sure there isn't a God. And I hate him, really, as a summary of atheism. Um, it's the air we breathe. It's the air we breathe. That's what's being fed to you in all the media that you consume and use. And so inside of us, there is this little cynical voice that we constantly hear when we pray. Am I just reading out a shopping list to the sky? That little cynical voice that says, even when your prayer is answered... But maybe it's just a coincidence and it would have happened anyway. Uh, I want to suggest that prayer, even in the New Testament, Paul describes prayer as a wrestle. It's difficult. Uh, But I want to suggest that even today it's it's even more difficult than perhaps uh, ever before to be a prayerful people. Uh, We are in a generation that is more connected than ever before. We're in a generation that has more information than ever before. But actually... According to all the statistics, we are also a generation that is more anxious than ever before. More anxious, more worried, more concerned about self-image, more fearful of the future uh, than ever before. Yet when we read about uh, the life of Jesus, when we see that in his life that he had a deep sense of peace in the midst of all the turmoil that was going on around him. Uh, When we look at the life of Jesus, we can see that uh, he had a deep sense of intimacy with God. Uh, When we look at the life of Jesus, we can see that he had a clear sense of purpose in his life. And I think that sense of intimacy, that sense of peace, that sense of purpose, what we all long for, we all hope for. Uh, And if, however, we are going to experience uh, those things that Jesus experienced, peace, purpose, intimacy. We need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want to have the experience of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And top uh, of the list uh, of what made up the lifestyle of Jesus was uh, a vibrant prayer life. Uh, And so I think it's a really useful idea for us to consider this topic of prayer. How, with the challenges that we're facing, how we can become uh, a prayerful people and find joy and intimacy and peace and purpose uh, through that. So if you'll indulge me, let's bow our heads uh, and let's pray uh, as we begin. Lord, we want to echo the words of the disciples in Luke 11. Lord, teach us to pray. We freely admit that for many of us, uh, it is a struggle to pray. We struggle to set aside time to pray. We struggle to believe that praying has any effect. We struggle to express ourselves to you. We are often nervous of making mistakes in front of you and looking naive in front of others. Sometimes our hearts are just so rebellious. Sometimes we are distracted. Sometimes we are depressed. And all of these things keep us from praying. And so as we look uh, to your word this morning, as we look at the example and the teaching of Jesus, Father, we pray, please, that you would give us that sense of intimacy with you, increase a sense of peace in our own hearts and give us that driving purpose um, that would shape our entire lives. And so we pray, please, that you would be with us now as we consider these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. 
At this point, I want to invite Craig uh, up to, to, to share. Craig's been very brave uh, coming up to share uh, because I wanted to give us a bit of an insight into what prayer looks like for, for some of us. Um, so I guess my first question really, Craig, to you was um, just to think about what has been your journey with prayer? Is it something you've always enjoyed, something you've always found easy, or something that's been a bit more of a struggle? What, what has that looked no, like for always, you? It's always, always, always been a struggle, and still is. Um, I, I wish I'd been invited up to the front to talk about a subject that I actually know something about. You know, it's sort of... Um, um, uh, if you talk to me about how to cut skin cancers out of people's faces, I'm your man. I can talk about that at great length and draw you diagrams. But if you like Mary Berry, who's been throwing a football and say, away you go, teach us how to play football. Um, no, it, it, I've always found prayer struggle. Um, I never have understood what prayer was until probably the last ten years. Um, I could see people who were praying and sometimes you came across people who you just thought, gosh, you're praying differently than I've heard other people pray but I'm not sure that it's something that I really understood Um, my spiritual life ten years ago was a very different place than it was now, it was a very sort of desert and dry place Um, and in the middle of that um, I discovered how to be broken Um, in the middle of that brokenness I have learnt that prayer is part of that journey um, from, from brokenness into relationship and what that might look like. Um, there's, there's been times whenever, oh, 10 years ago, I was woken in the middle of the night with dental pain. I was rolling around the bed with really bad dental pain. And um, then I started to meditate and started to pray and Kara woke up and said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I've got dental pain. She says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm praying. And she sort of looked at me because Kara knew that I didn't pray. You know, Kara knew that my spiritual life was nowhere. And she said, there was a light that went on in her heart to just think, oh, my husband's not lost. There is hope here. Um, and um, it's, been, it's been a journey since then. Interestingly, years ago, I don't know if any of you remember, do you remember what we did what was it called, networking, where you worked out your spiritual gifts. So in, the, in that process, one of the things that I worked out was that I was gifted in prayer, which was really, really strange to me, because it's like Mary Berry been told that she's gifted in football. You just think, no, I'm gifted in cooking. Um, so that was very strange to me to work out that somehow that I was gifted in prayer in a topic, that, in something that I didn't really do. Um, and it's been a journey from there to here. And what does here look like? What, oh. what, what is your, your regular pattern, if you have such a thing? Um, I do have a regular pattern, and it's embarrassing to share it with you, um, because it's I not know. terribly impressive. Um, I, over the years, I've read a lot about meditative prayer, and I've read a lot about praying continuously, and I've read a lot about um, contemplation in my heart. And I try to put that into place in my life, and it is very unimpressive. Um, so people will talk about, you know, at the beginning of the day to set aside Jesus as Lord, and I do that in a very unimpressive way. Um, and what that looks like is that I have porridge every morning, and it takes two minutes in the microwave to cook, exactly two minutes to cook. Come down, you put your porridge in the microwave, you close the microwave door, set it to two minutes. And I then pray. I pray for a whole two minutes in the morning. Um, And what that prayer looks like is with no agenda to come before God, to seek his presence, to just be with God with no agenda, with nothing to, to say in that space. And then I worked out years ago that I had a half hour. I live in East Belfast and work work in Carrick. So I had a half hour every day where I drove to work and I had a half hour that I drove home from work. And I used to fill it with Radio 4, occasionally music or whatever. And then I worked out that really if I switched my radio off, there was a certain amount of boredom that came into my life. And then that prompted me to, I can fill this with prayer. 
So now on the way to and from work, I pray and listen to God's word rather than fill it with stuff. So somehow it should create those spaces in my life which I then fill with prayer. Um, you, you were talking about distraction and that really, really chimed with me. You know, we, we live in a very distracted world and the world tries to distract us, but we choose distraction. We're scared of space. We're scared of quietness. We're scared of somehow that God might move in our hearts to relate to him. So we fill our lives full of stuff and full of noise. And sometimes I think that that's a deliberate thing because we're scared of what, what time with God might look like. I guess I just wanted folks to hear, you shared that with me before, I guess I wanted folks to hear that prayer might look a little different to you, how you might expect it. You know, so I think some people imagine it's you know, an hour between 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock on your knees in the darkness in the I morning. Not. <laughs> um, but, but actually it, it can look different yeah. for different people yeah. given their, their rhythm. Yeah. But what, what advice would you say? You were talking to your 10-year-ago self. Mm. Uh, who's starting off on the journey? Maybe that's somebody here this morning. How would you? What, what advice would you give for someone starting off in this journey with prayer? Um, I think that we need to recognise that we pray with a different part of us than we do everything else in life. Everything else in life is our bodies and our minds and our analysis. Was prayer is not. Um, prayer is about our hearts and inclining our hearts to God and to work out which part of me am I directing to God? What does that even mean? How do I, how do I direct my, my life to God? Um, you know, prayer, my prayer sometimes is, or certainly has been, Dear God and Heavenly Father, here's a bunch of information that I'm going to give you which you don't know. Here's my analysis of the situation because you need that analysis. Um, Here's a few action points because I don't think you'll be able to come up with them yourself. And here's a few outcomes that I want to see. Amen. And what that is, is that that's me coming to God in pride to say, I know what I'm talking about and I'm going to tell you what to do. And prayer is just so much not like that. Um, prayer primarily and, and our Christian lives are built around brokenness. You know, um, and whenever we come to God, um, my primary thing is to be humble and broken before him. Um, and then the idea of to be intimate with God, to come to God with... Uh, the, the idea of, of, of us as children and God as our heavenly loving father to come to God with can I spend time with you um, what is it that is important to you father and how can I become how can I understand you more how can I um, join in on those things which are important to you so prayer is brokenness and prayer is alignment to who God is and understanding of who God is, mm-hmm. much more so than here's a bunch of stuff. Um, because generally I, I don't know, I, I don't know um, how to tell God about my unsaved son. I don't know how to tell God about the world's needs. Um, but I can come to him with those you know, I can come to him and say, here you go. You know, I hold these up to you. But I don't know what to say. Um, so that's, that's, that's what prayer looks like for me. Um, a bit of rhythm in my life and brokenness. Um, and for anybody who, who, 10 years ago, I suppose if anybody had said this, um, to find something which we can hold on to in the middle of darkness, in the middle of dryness. Um, you know, there was a long time whenever I literally held on to 
one or two phrases and just repeated them again and again and again. I think it's meditation. I think that's what the biblical um, pattern is. But to actually repeat them. Repeat them out loud, repeat them in our hearts. And there was a time whenever my whole spiritual life narrowed down to Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And that, that, that was it. There wasn't prayer, there wasn't great Bible study, there was, I am holding on to, Lord, you are the God, um, please have mercy upon me. Um, so sometimes it's to find those phrases to hold on to and to repeat until they become part of our lives and they become part of our hearts. And our, that's a way basically of inclining our hearts to the Lord. Look, thank you so much for, for sharing uh, for sharing that. I guess I just wanted us to give us a bit of an insight of what, what is it we're talking about before we, we go on and then talk about it. Uh, if you've closed your Bibles, could you open them up uh, to Luke chapter 5? We'll get there uh, in a second. Uh, Luke chapter 5. Um, and maybe keep a finger in Psalm, uh, Psalm 131. Uh, and really we're just thinking today about how we, we start. How do we start this journey uh, with prayer? Um, and uh, as I was thinking of what, what I was going to do over four weeks, I stumbled across a little book by, by Pete Gregg. Some of you have heard of Pete Gregg before. He's involved in the 24-7 prayer initiative and organization. Uh, and he's released a little book just recently called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Ordinary People which I thought was uh, a very good title. Uh, And in the book, he has a little acronym. Uh, When we come to think about prayer, he uses the acronym PRAY, P-R-A-Y, PRAY. We need to pause. We need to rejoice in who God is and what he's done. Before then, we get to asking, and it's right to ask, uh, and then learn how to yield our lives to him. Uh, and we're going to look at, at each one of those in turn over the next four weeks. But this morning, I want us to think about this uh, idea of pausing before God. Um, I want you to just note that, that those little, that little acronym, those are not hard and fast rules. They're not like, a, I'm not a physicist. These are not hard and fast rules that you have to, when you pray, you have to do all four of those things and you have to do them in that order. Um, no, think, think of these as what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks as dance steps. That once you learn the basics, you then are, are free for creative interpretation. Okay, uh, But it is important that we do learn uh, the basics. Um, again, the greatest example, uh, and we're going to come to the teaching of the Lord Jesus on prayer uh, over the next couple of weeks, but the greatest example of prayer is the Lord Jesus uh, himself. We see that despite his hectic schedule, uh, just as Craig talked about, in, in the midst of his schedule, he made space for, for prayer, for silence uh, and solitude. Um, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, we read, But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place, Uh, to desolate places and pray. Uh, Again, in in Luke 6, verse 12, we read, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus found time for for, um, silence and solitude so that he could connect, engage, uh, communicate with his heavenly Father. But more than that, then, he, he commands us to do the same. Uh, And so in Matthew 6, we read, uh, And when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, uh, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. We also are to find rhythms in our lives for silence uh, and solitude that we might connect with God. But finding space and time, I would maybe suggest that it isn't even the most difficult thing. Uh, Finding space and time... uh, can be relatively straightforward, but how do we begin to pray? How do we still our stormy hearts with all the anxieties, all the worries of the day ahead? How do we focus on God? Very often, as Craig just described, we approach prayer uh, as we sort of rush into his presence, 
Um, we uh, launch into our shopping list uh, of requests, uh, and uh, we uh, treat God a bit more like a slot machine uh, than a person. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. Um, but prayer is supposed to be fundamentally relational and not transactional. It's, it's weird to pause and to be still and to engage with God as a person, as a person. Um, and so in one sense, the best way, I came across this phrase, the best way to, to start praying to God is to actually stop praying to, to God. To, that is to stop talking at God uh, long enough for us to, to get a sense of who he really is, to get a sense of who we really are um, before we launch into all our requests. Uh, and only then will we be able to pray properly from a place of peace, from a place uh, of faith uh, and reduced anxiety. Uh, and the reality is for, for all of us, I would want to suggest, that, uh, is that our, sto- our souls are stormy places. Our souls are stormy places. We uh, are not still uh, and quiet. Uh, our hearts are noisy with anxiety. Perhaps it's exams that are coming uh, or just have come and you're awaiting anxiously the results. It is uh, the, the, the pressure of the job or joblessness. Uh, perhaps it's self-image issues or uh, the opinion of other people. Uh, perhaps it's money or a pension worry. Uh, perhaps it's elderly, concern over elderly parents. Perhaps it's concern over troublesome teenagers. Uh, perhaps uh, it's a marriage problem, divorce, singleness, childlessness, illness. We are surrounded by trials and problems all the time. How can we manage to find uh, a place where we can be still before God uh, and to try to get control over our scattered senses? Well, that is where I think Psalm 131 is really helpful. Okay, turn back to Psalm 131. This was a little buried treasure that I had never really looked at before. But I think it gives us much needed advice uh, for how we are to approach God in prayer. Um, Let me read it to you uh, very briefly again. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child uh, with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Uh, Hebrew literature is often written very different from the way we write in the West. We normally would write where you, perhaps in a newspaper article, you write the big, the big headline, the big idea, and then you spend the rest of the time explaining that, that big idea. Or perhaps it's you, you would build up your argument like steps and come to a dramatic conclusion at the end. Often the way we write is very linear. But actually Hebrew literature, and especially Hebrew poetry, uh, doesn't work like that. Uh, often it's the, the main point is in the center, uh, and it's buried in a sandwich. And here I think we see the same thing. We see that the big point of Psalm 131 is actually verse 2. Verse 2. To still and quieten your soul to still and quiet in your soul. That's what David is on about. That's what he wants to teach us. And verses 1 and verse 3, that are like the bits of bread on each side, tell us how we can do that. How can we do that in a noisy, distracted world with noisy, stormy hearts? How can we find calmness and stillness? Well, two ideas, very briefly, in the time that's left. We need a right view of ourselves, We need to be humble, and we need to pause and get a right view of God, verse 3. So first, we need a right view of ourselves, a right view of yourself. We need to be humble. Now, verse 1, when you glance at it uh, quickly, does look a bit odd. Uh, If we're honest, it looks a bit odd. It looks like David is boasting about how humble he is, right? It looks like he's effectively saying, uh, I've, I've just written a book 
uh, humility and how I single-handedly achieved it. Uh, and by the way, it's a bestseller. Okay, that sounds like that's what he's saying. But actually, when you look closely, you realize that David isn't boasting to others about how humble he is. He is talking to God and confessing how humble he is. And that's very, very different. In fact, in Hebrew, the very first word in Hebrew is Lord, Lord, the very first word. Uh, He is talking to the creator of the universe. Uh, Lord is the the, the name of God that God revealed to Moses, Uh, the creator, the promise-making, promise-keeping God who has made a covenant with his people. Uh, That is the God that David is speaking to. And and the, the way to become truly humble is when you become aware of who God really is and begin to compare yourself not to other people, but compare yourself to him. And so when David pauses and becomes aware of the God to whom he's speaking, it leads to him becoming humble. Humble in his heart first. He becomes humble in his heart, humble in his eyes, and humble in his business. Humble in his heart. Humility of heart is uh, being the opposite. Being proud in your heart is really the idea of having an unwarrantedly high view of yourself. Um, And David is saying that as he comes and pauses just for a moment on who God is, um, that he is humbled by that thought. Uh, This song, this poem, uh, Psalm 131 comes in a little collection. You'll notice at the top it says a song of ascent. Uh, that's a little collection of songs that run from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, 15 of them. Um, and in that little collection, the Lord is described in a number of ways. He's described as the maker of heaven and earth. He's described as the keeper of this universe. He is described as the one who never slumbers or sleeps. He's described as the one who is the restorer uh, of lost fortunes. And you see, if you begin to just pause for a moment and remember who it is you're talking to, it's very difficult to be proud if you do that properly. It's very difficult to be proud of your own abilities and looks and insights when you realize that God is your maker, uh, that he is the one who has given you every gift that you have, that he is the one uh, who keeps you alive, that you would not be alive today if he did not choose it to be so. It's very difficult to be proud of your achievements when you realize that actually your achievements have far more to do with God's orchestrating of the circumstances than your hard work and determination. And so as David comes and he considers just for a moment who it is he's speaking to, the Lord, he's humbled in his heart. His view of himself has changed. He's humbled in his eyes, secondly. Uh, his eyes are not lifted up or not haughty. Uh, or it, that's a particularly Hebrew way to say it. Uh, perhaps an English way to say it would be he doesn't look down on other people. He doesn't look down on other people. Um, if a proud heart is having an unwarrantedly high view of yourself, uh, haughty eyes in the Bible is having an unwarrantedly low view of other people around you. Uh, to look down on them, to be constantly comparing yourself to other people and thinking, well, at least I'm doing better than them, or at least I am better than that other person. Uh, one writer um, one writer on uh, the book of Psalms, uh, William Van Gemeren, says this, the proud person is always looking, comparing, competing, and is never content. You see, it is very hard for you to be proud uh, and to, com- to think of yourself more highly than others when you remember that you are a creature made by God in a very big world with a lot of other creatures who are also made in the image of God and precious to him. It is very difficult to be proud and self-righteous and self-content 
when you realize that. And just pausing to remember who God is will humble you in your heart, will humble your eyes. But also, David is humble in his business, humble in his business. Uh, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Uh, One commentator, Alec Mateer, says this, I no longer, he phrases it like this, I no longer allow myself to be taken over by schemes that I could never achieve, problems that I could never solve. You see, we we often live in this world with the self-delusion that we are in control. We're in control. I'm in control of my life. I'm in control of the circumstances of my life. But if you stop for a moment, you realize that that is just not true. That is just not true. Um, You can eat a healthy diet and be very disciplined in your exercise regime. But there will come a point when you realize that you are not in control over when you get ill or how long your life will be. That is not in the sphere of your control. You may be a parent here this morning, maybe of younger children, and you may be thinking, well, I have a plan for the the parenting things that I'm going to do to guarantee that they will grow up to be a person like this. But as you... (laughs) mature as a parent, you will discover that there are influences on your child's life that you just cannot control. You cannot guarantee that outcome. You may be planning well for a successful, comfortable, secure retirement, but you are not in control. You're not in control of the banks or the markets. We are not in control. But often we live like we are. We live like we are. And it freaks us out when things go wrong. And part of the reason that we're so stressed out and part of the reason that we're so anxious is that we're trying to take control over things that we could never control. We're trying to to grab and grasp for control over things that are above our pay grade. Things that God alone can control. And David is saying that the secret, the secret to a calm and quiet soul is to realize who it is you're talking to, to humble yourself before him, to humble yourself in relation to other people. Don't compare yourself to them. Compare yourself to him and then hand everything over to God because he is the one that's in control. You need a right view first of yourself, a right view of yourself Pete Gregg, uh, in his little book that I mentioned, puts it like this. One of the main differences between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. Moments of stillness at the start of a prayer time are moments of surrender in which we stop... um, in which we stop uh, pumping with God. Uh, What's the word? I've... Competing, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's obscured in my script. We stop competing with God. We stop expecting everyone uh, and everything else to orbit our preferences. We, are re, we recenter our priorities on the Lord and acknowledge with a sigh of relief that he is in control and we are not. Much to our surprise, the world keeps turning quite well without our help. Slowly, our scattered thoughts start to become more centered. And that's really what I'm getting at, this idea. How is it that you are going to have a still, calm, and quiet soul? First, you need to humble yourself. You need a right view of yourself. Second, and very briefly, we need a right view of God. Hope. A right view of God. Hope. Again, Pete Gregg says this, after more than 25 years in ministry, I have come to the conclusion that most people's problem with prayer is their view of God. They envisage him scowling, perpetually disapproving, invariably disappointed, and needing to be placated or persuaded in prayer. If that's how you picture God, then I really don't blame you for trying to avoid his gaze. If you have a wrong view of God and you view him as harsh and cold and distant and uncaring, then it is not in the least a surprise that you will neglect prayer. And so what we desperately need is a right view of God. And I think the psalm is so helpful. It's so helpful. How does David describe God? 
or picture God in verse 2. How does he picture God in verse 2? But I have a calmed and quietened myself. I'm like a wean child with its mother. Uh, like a wean child, uh, I am content. God is a father. He's revealed through the Lord Jesus as a father, but here he's described as being like a mother. He's been described as like a mother. And a whole bunch of children went out for Sunday school a few moments ago, or extreme program. Uh, but quite a lot went out to the creche. And every so often you'll see one of the, the creche leaders come in and tap mum on the shoulder. And mum will get up and go out. Because something's happened. Something's happened. Perhaps the little toddler has fallen over uh, and hurt him or herself. And cannot be consoled. No one will do but mum. No one will do but mum. Uh, David is saying that that is exactly the concept that David has here. That uh, that sense uh, of God being uh, described as gentle and caring and protective with good intentions towards him. Like a, a loving mother. Is that how you view God? Is that how you view him? Because if you do you will be inclined to pray. Um, notice uh, just how he goes on to describe what he's like before God. He is like a weaned child. Now that's quite an old-fashioned word uh, in English. It's just simply the idea that uh, a, a little infant has moved off its mother's milk and is now on solid food. That's how he views himself. That's a very interesting description, isn't it? Because uh, a little baby, want, a little infant, wants to be with his or her mum mainly because of the milk that mum provides. Sounds very cold, mums, but that's a fact. But as a child is weaned, like a little toddler in the creche, they want to be with mum because simply they love mum. They love mum. They love spending time with mum. They love lying on the floor and playing duplo or going to the park or whatever it is. They just love to be with mum. They have a sense of uh, mum's good intentions towards them. They feel secure and safe uh, in their presence. And that is the idea that David has uh, when he thinks of God. And the more we grasp that we are dearly loved children, the greater our desire will be to spend time with God in prayer. Like a toddler, we will start to tell him everything and dare to ask him anything. If you see God for who he truly is, that he is someone who is caring and protective, that he's attentive to your needs, that he is always, always pleased to see you, that he not only loves you, but he likes you, and that he's prepared to answer your prayers. If you get that, then that will become a fire that will light your desire to pray to God. Also, just it's worth noting, just who's speaking here. This is a, a psalm of David. A psalm of David. This is a prayer of King David. Now, you may think your life is stressful, right? You may think your life is busy. Uh, but just think of King David for a moment. Uh, think of the uh, expectation that was upon him. Think of the stress and the anxiety of ruling the whole nation. There are enemies at the gate. Uh, you start to read a little bit in 1 2 Samuel about what life was like for him. His family's in absolute chaos uh, at the end of 2 Samuel. And yet here we can see that even David, with all the anxiety, with all the stress, with all the stormy worry that's in his heart, even he has learned how to experience calm and rest as he approaches God in prayer. And it is interesting how this little song finishes. It finishes with an invitation, an invitation. Uh, because this isn't just the experience that some super-duper spiritual people can have. No, this is an experience that all of God's people are to be able to enjoy. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Uh, this same experience of rest and peace 
and calmness as we come to God in prayer is possible for us all if we put our hope and confidence. And so any Israelite, as they come to God, can know a sense of being free from a a sense of past failures. As I said, this song is a song of uh, ascent. It's part of a collection. And so just look at the previous song and just compare how the two songs finish. finish. Uh, So Psalm 131, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Uh, Psalm 130, verse 7 and 8, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. As we put our hope, as we put our confidence in God, we can know freedom from anxiety for all our past failures all our past failures. We often tend to think, well, I can't come to God in prayer now because I've sinned once too often and once too badly. That's the final straw. God will be done with me now. Here David's reminding us, as we put our confidence in God, he is the forgiving God whose redemption is full and free for us all. We can come and find relief for the anxieties of our past failures. And then we can come and find relief from the anxieties of now. Come put your hope in the Lord both now, present trials. Many of us are walking out of here into present difficulties, health worries, family concerns, money fears. Well, we can know that God has promised, he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised that not everything will always work out in our favor, but that he will strengthen us to endure every trial, every trial. We can have freedom from the anxiety uh, of present trials and then both now and forevermore. We can be free from the anxiety of future fears, future fears. We need never fear death. We need never fear future judgment because we have a relationship with the Lord, the Lord the one who has forgiven our sins, the one who has promised to be our loving parent and has guaranteed our future. And I think this psalm anticipates the invitation of an even greater, an even greater king and an even greater invitation in the New Testament. Uh, We'll be thinking a little bit more about this tonight, lads, if you are uh, for your baptism. Uh, And as we uh, come together, we'll be thinking of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we come to the Lord Jesus ultimately and confess our arrogance, confess our pride, ask for his forgiveness. He promises us rest. And that rest can be a present reality for us. We can come to God, pause, just reflect on who it is we're speaking to, who we are in relation to him, feeble, fallen, deeply flawed, but yet accepted by the true and living God. Some practical tips as you practice pausing this week. Okay, what does it look like? Well, this is what it looks like for me uh, as I've tried to put this into practice the last uh, the last little while. For me, it starts with this. Sounds first. It sounds a bit new agey, right? Don't worry. Concerned about your breathing, right? Don't please don't panic. Please don't panic. We are whole people, right? You are body and soul, and breathing slow. Deep breathing gets practically gets more oxygen into your brain, helps you think a bit clearer, slows your heart down, tries to get your cortisol level under a bit of control. Right? So where do you start? Take a seat, kneel in a place of quiet, and just breathe deeply for a bit. What do you do what do you do next? Well as you do that, you might might want to speak and for me, it's interesting. I hadn't planned that with Craig. For me, it's, I, I find a couple of phrases that I just keep repeating. 
over and over again um, that I find just really helpful. Uh, And they're helpful because they remind me of something true. And to repeat them over and over again drives out a few distractions. So for me to remind myself of who I am, I use a variation of of the prayer Craig referred to, uh, the, the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you keep that and just slow, speak it slowly in time with your breathing. I also say another phrase, stolen from uh, Doubting Thomas. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Take some time just to clear your mind. Concentrate on who it is you're speaking to. Distractions will flood in at that point. There'll be a little, usually there's a little party that starts in your head at that moment, right? You become like the the unwilling host of this party in your head. And so you'll need to repeat that a few times. But you will get there, trust me. You'll get to a place of calm. And only then are you ready for step two. Step two. But for step two, you're going to have to come back next week. Okay? But what I want to do for a few moments is take a few moments silence. Craig said we often repel from silence. We don't like it. But we're going to take deliberately a few moments of silence. How about you try to just practice that? Just think of your breathing just for a moment. Concentrate on who it is you have the privilege of speaking to. And just become aware of who you are and all your need and all your feebleness. And I will hand over to the musicians.